Why do we like villains? Well, the answer may surprise you, but you almost feel like you have a sympathy for the character being the person he is. Sure. Um, and that's where the key is on villains. Um, there are two, two characters which are the hardest ones to write because nobody will get them correct for everybody. One of them is Jesus Christ and the other is Adolf Hitler. One is the personification in Western culture of goodness, personification of ultimate goodness. You cannot humanize that character, otherwise you will fail. The other one is the personification of absolute evil. And if you humanize that character, how dare you? Yeah. Now, here's the thing, though, um, being a bit of a historian, which I am, um, we all have a flash response when we hear Hitler. We know what he did. We know how many millions and millions and millions of people died as a result of this absolute incarnate evil. That has become cliched now because we know that. It's become a cliche of Hitler because we know that. We automatically compact all of that evil into one convenient description because we all identify with that, that feeling about Hitler. But here's the thing that really, really, really scares me about Hitler. Hitler loved dogs. I love dogs. I could have a conversation with Hitler and enjoy it. That terrifies me. Yep. That's yeah. how you humanize your villains. And you scare the audience when you, the moment the audience recognizes and understands a part of that villain, they are actually recognizing and understanding a part about themselves. That is that is so true. And I think but I think that's what bonds the character, any character to the viewer, the reader, whomever, is that identification, whether they want to realize that identification is there or not. It's got to be subtle. You may never want to be that villain, but there are parts of that villain that are you and you know it. Mm -hmm. At the very least, you understand it. You may recognize it in yourself or recognize it in other people, but you understand it. That's why villains such as, uh, you know, Alan Rickman in Die Hard. Right. Okay. Perfect example. He, and he made he made sense. I actually, when you know, I watched the movie, I'm kind of thinking to myself, I would love to chill with this guy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Hans Buechel. Well, there he goes. He's falling off the building again. But oh well. But I, there were parts of him that, since I understood him and understood what his mind process was, and that he had a brilliant plan, and the way he interacted with the people around him, um, yeah, that was that, he was terrifying. But he's a really good example. And that was in the writing, and that was in the performance, and that was in the directing. Again, that collaboration came together. But Alan Rickman brought it all together in this one um, core character that you could identify with. So all villains have to have that. Otherwise, they're just, you know, snidely whiplash twirling their their mustache. They're cardboard cutouts without it. So. And I research as I do a lot of one of my OCDs is research and this is a um this is with character and also with small details and it truly is there are some ice ocds that i i have kind of gotten used to in my life and i kind of never looked at them as being that way <laughs> they're making themselves more apparent as i get older um there was a, a novel that i'm writing right now where 
the two main characters are being attacked by creatures and they're in a junkyard. So they had to hide in a 57 Chevy Bel Air. Now I only picked that because I like that car, 57 Chevy Bel Air. So they, they hide in it and they got the windows rolled up and the creatures, which I don't want to call them zombies, but you know, it's an apocalyptic thing. So they're all around. And I thought to myself, well, I have to find a way to get them out of this car. And then I thought, well, if I can get them into the trunk, then, you know, tools and all that kind of access, and it's the back of the vehicle. And then the question popped into my head, can you get into the trunk of a 57 Chevy Bel Air from the front? So I thought, well, that's simple. I'm going to research that. So four hours later, I am one of the foremost authorities on stripping down a 57 Chevy Bel Air <laughs> because I just got so fascinated. <laughs> and, and by the way, and life happens when you're not paying attention. A oh, new career could be born here. Exactly. Um, and by the way, you can't do it. Uh, I had to come up with another way to get them in. There. I could have just changed the car, but I was so committed to that car. So I had to find another way to get them in there. Um, but that's part of my OCD. But I do the same thing with my characters. And when I was producing um, uh, Sheena, not Xena, the subsequent one that I did, Sheena. Uh, yes, I went from Xena to Sheena. Um, <laughs> When I was producing that, I was working with Sony um, International or Sony TriStar Television International. And I had to have a meeting with uh, some of the marketing people who were going to be putting out the information on Sheena. And as you know, it was based on the original 1938 comic book character. But um, Doug Schwartz and I uh, co-developed this for Sony. And the first thing we did was we had to strip out a lot of the 1938 attitudes and try to bring it into the modern world and make it more about spiritualism, tribalism, and nationalism. But the marketing people wanted to know about the lead character. And so they said, so tell us a little bit about your Sheena. And so I started talking about her. Uh, about 45 minutes later, <laughs> they stopped me and they said, you are the most prepared producer we have ever run into. And I said, yeah, I said, I got to know all this about my characters. And somebody said, how are you going to get that in the TV series? And I said, I'm, I'm not. Uh, that's not the point. It's like, well, using the example of, of you and me, I'm talking to you, Mark, right now. You and I have been friends for, what, 40 years? We've known yeah, each other for 40, 40 years? Yeah. yeah. More than 40 years. That 40 years of knowledge I have of you is only 10% of your total life experience. And I don't mean just time-wise. I have only know 10% of that. But that 90% that I don't know, which is your entire life experience and all the things that go on inside of you, that makes that 10%. So for my characters, I may only show 10% of that character on the screen, but I need to know that 90%. No, that is very true. When new writers come to you, they say, I have a great idea. I've you know, I, of these characters, I think I have a character that does this and saves the world and all that. How do I go about it? What do you tell them? <laughs> well, every because, situation is different. I say that for a reason. I, I'm mm -hmm. a member of a lot of groups of new writers, mm -hmm. and you get that question a lot. Sure. Yeah. Um, and every situation is different. So obviously it would, it would, uh, depend a lot on the various situations and how people approach you. Because as you know, everybody, especially when you're successful in the business, you get everything from, I have a great idea. And if you write it into a script and sell it, I'll, I'll share 50% of it with you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, usually my response to that is, uh, well, give me your great idea and I'll steal it and I'll just make all my own money. Otherwise I don't want to hear it. 
you want to encourage people in the correct direction. As an example, somebody I'm, I'm working with right now who has a book series uh, had approached me. Um, this was a year and a half ago, I believe, had approached me uh, because she wanted to turn this book series into a TV series. And her original intention was to hire me to write the pilot script. And I kind of suspected this because I get that a lot as well. Now, I like this person. This person is actually great and very intelligent um, and very creative. And she'd had a book series that she had done. So we sat down for, for lunch and she brought this up. And I said, uh, now, by the way, this is a person who's been very successful in so many different careers. And she brought this up and I said, well, why don't you write it? And she said, well, that's, that's not something I would do. And I looked at her and I said, all the things you've accomplished and you're telling me you can't do something, that doesn't sound right. Yep. And she literally looked at me with these, her eyes open up and she went, oh my God, I can't believe I just said that. You know, I'm paraphrasing, but it kind of surprised her that she said that. And so I said, well, I said, what you should do first and foremost is try to do it. Never accept the idea that you can't do it because I will tell you to this day, I'm not a writer because I never learned to write. Nobody taught me how to write. And I do remember at one point I said to Harriet Helberg, that casting director, I can't do that. And then I did it. So as a result, um, she and I working together have taken her book series and we're still in the, in the, the form of developing it now, but she has, she has become a really wonderful scriptwriter because she, she got past that and she also was open to learn and she wanted to, to understand how to do this. Which is why it's so important to not put limits on yourself. Steve will talk more about that in the next episode of Beginnings.